Welcome to the Great Base Tennis Podcast. I'm Andy Fitzell, your co-host, alongside Steve Smith. And we are up to episode number seven. Here we go. Welcome. Look forward to uh, another chat. Yeah. So this past week, we were invited by the Between the White Lines Summit, run by Mark Jeffries and Emma Collins, to do a presentation. We were asked alongside, I think, over 45 other presenters, coaches, educators, people trying to help tennis. And between the White Lines Summit, you know, they're trying to go, grow the game postcode by postcode. And what we did is we made some notes and we took the time to read those notes. It took about six minutes, I believe, approximately, and covered some problems and solutions. Uh, the topic, the title of our presentation was Fact-Based Instruction for Long-Term Development. And so we read those notes and we covered some of the points and we told our listeners that we would review those at another time on a podcast. And so here we are. And so the plan is tonight where we're going to review those notes and yes, Mark, make some additional comments. Mark, Mark Jeffries. Yeah, yeah, Mark Jeffries, Emma Collins. Emma Collins. Uh, you know, certainly we're very happy to be part of it. I hope they're very successful with their first go around. I understand they want to do it on a continued basis. Yeah. And their motive is, to, as you said, grow the game. Yeah. Um, the idea that, uh, and, you know, of course we can really speak, you know, even though I know you've traveled so many countries, I've been in over 30 countries, but we can really just speak on behalf of what's going on in the U S. Um, but the presenters were worldwide and the, the cons consensus was, is that yeah, we, we need help tennis. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to go through those notes again and expound on them, add some additional comments and, Hopefully give you a lot of value. Yeah, let's go through the notes. I know you you read these yeah. through, but we'll just, instead of reading them, we'll just talk point by point. Um, and again, this comes from our position in the tennis world. It just pertains to the tennis teaching field. Yeah. Tennis basically, tennis people basically work for three things, money, recognition, and satisfaction. Unfortunately, for the most part, satisfaction is a distant third in most cases. Uh, we need as tennis people to find ways to become a team united to work together. We need to make tennis less of a business. And first and foremost, we make need to go back, make tennis a sport. Uh, we emphasize that teaching in the tennis teaching field, people are usually asked to do three things, teach, organize, and sell. And it's our observation, our opinion, um, there's too much selling. There are too many third base coaches. That's an American term in American yeah. baseball. First base, second base, third base, home plate. There's so many people that want to teach someone who's already about to score. Yeah. Uh, that's what we mean by a merchant of flesh. For those people that listened um, uh, to us speak during the summit, we actually mentioned that we would do this during the podcast because we had to go so fast. We just had 40 minutes. Yeah. Um, merchant of flesh looking to buy players opposed to producing players. You know, if everybody, uh, it's in our notes, is just would love to teach beginners to start new players. There's too much emphasis on recruitment, not enough emphasis on development. In the tennis teaching industry, too much attention goes to the high-end players. 
know, say for example, junior tennis players at a park, at a club, a school. Um, we need to understand the connection between all levels. I think one thing in tennis teaching, there's there's too much edifying, too much. Um, you're great, I'm great, we're all great. You tell people great, I'll tell them uh, the same thing. And really, in the end, we're pretending that we're all doing a great job, and we need to do a better job. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, one thought with that. Um, you know, I think of Vic Braden's line where he said, you know, great as Vic was, he said, tennis is in the Stone Ages. And then we believe, hey, you know, although so many things have improved education-wise as well, and I would consider us lifelong learners, but I think we still are in the Stone Ages in a lot of different areas. No, we had a podcast on Jim Furtick, one of the pillars of our great base curriculum. We need to do the same thing for Vic. May 10th, 1976, Sports Illustrated. That was the title of the article, featured article. Mm-hmm. Vic Braden, and at that time, his partner, Gideon Ariel. Tennis is in the Stone Ages. And really, it still is. It still is. It hasn't really progressed. Uh, the technology of your racket, for example, that has changed so much. Yeah. And certainly, there's been some improvements with tennis teaching, but there's some things that are far worse. Yeah. No, all sorts of problems. And to begin with, tennis is a very difficult sport. It's not an easy sport to pick up. You can't pick it up overnight. Tennis has become way too expensive to learn how to play. Like you've said this, um, you know, most tennis pros that teach couldn't afford their own lessons. And for goal-oriented players, players that are trying to make money as, as well, it's become way too expensive to play to have to travel and try to get points. Yes, socioeconomic function levels for someone to take a private lesson. It's almost like... You take so many of them, you have to have a money tree in the backyard. Um, yeah. A couple of things on the difficulty of the sport. Braden, if you set up a ball machine, the balls are coming out at 30 miles an hour. You change the racket by one degree, the ball goes six feet further. Yeah. Vic used to get a lot of laughs by telling people in adult tennis, and it's so tough for entry-level adults to get going in tennis, is they buy the clothes and they wear them to the grocery store. <laughs> uh, you know, when you freak people first part playing tennis, I mean, they're on court court number three and and there's say eight courts next thing you know excuse me can i have my ball back yeah um so it, it is it's a very very difficult sport i remember uh, it was with a group of friends and oh you play tennis and yeah you know some some guys that i had just met and and uh, i'll play tennis sometime I'm like okay you know great and so they went out and bought like a cheap racket and you know so we went and tried to play tennis and about 10 minutes in it was like all right, let's go play basketball. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's not going to work. Yeah, it doesn't happen overnight. Well, the one thing about a basketball hoop, we tell people all the time, if you climb up on a ladder, two basketballs will go through the hoop at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's an optical illusion. The rim looks like it's the same size as the ball. Yeah. So when a kid goes out in the driveway, a little boy, a little girl, they're shooting hoops. They know it's, it, they did something right if it goes in the, in the hoop. Yeah. When someone is hitting against the garage door or hitting against the backboard, they have no idea. Yeah. So the target doesn't give them that instant nonverbal feedback. Yeah, it's deceiving. And I know we'll get into later the dimensions of the court, um, physical laws, those kind of things. But so some solutions, you know, we talked about number one, education. Tennis is more of a service oriented um, business than an education based business. So education, so, so important. Growth, we need to work like gardeners growing flowers and not weeds and participation teaching is for everybody, not just so-called experts. And, 
you know, related that to the Bible, to a biblical teaching that, hey, you can give a man a fish or you can teach him how to fish. Yeah, education, education, education. The tennis business being service-oriented, the people that are on that side of it, and we all are to a certain extent, you have to actually combine both service-oriented and education-based. Mm-hmm. But say a, a typical junior program, the coaches are rolling out the baskets of balls, they're under the hot sun, they're feeding balls, they're trying to control, motivate, mm-hmm. regulate children going through lines. It's service-oriented. I mean, stop. Is it? Is it an education? Yeah. The late John Wooden. Don't mistake activity for learning. Mm-hmm. I think with growth, you know, you got to get down on your hands and knees to work in the garden. You got to work in the garden every day, and that, and all of a sudden you've got, you know, the vegetables you're growing or the flowers. Um, so, yeah, it, and it's also it's not a matter of just technique; it's a matter of growing character. Mm-hmm. But it's it's really um, you you have to be able to educate. And then as far as participation, um, we just, we have that as towards the end of the notes here is how to get more people involved. Yeah. We've got on our, on our website, we have a blog post that you wrote that's um, really has gone pretty kind of viral in some ways. It's been uh, translated, I know, into lots of different languages, but it's called, why do players change coaches so often? So you could refer that um, to that listeners out there, but that covers consumer knowledge, the buyer, product knowledge, the seller, and student knowledge, the taker. You know, the short answer, why do players change coaches so often? That's what the pros do. Uh, the Ferrari, mm-hmm. the Bulgarian, Dimitrov? Yeah. <laughs> seven coaches this first seven years yeah. on the pro tour. But with Osaka con- as well. She's yeah. had quite a few. Yeah. Well, that's where the, it, it's kind of backwards where the, in, in pro tennis, I worked uh, with Carling Bassett. Carling Bassett, her husband, Robbie Scuso, had a tennis academy. I was their first director. And Carling, who was dropped off at the Nick Baltarian's Tennis Academy when she was eight years old by her father, John. So um, when, it, when it comes down to how, how does it work? So what Carling would say about Nick, he's a fantastic junior coach. But a pro coach, not so much. Mm-hmm. Because the pro is the boss. You know, if the if you're the coach of a pro player and say, "Hey, you need to go run. You need to go do some hills," you know, the person writing the check is the player, so it's yeah. kind of it's really backwards. Yeah. Um, with uh, so the short answer is the pros do it, but the long answer there's two sides to it. That the consumer, you know, they they observe lessons and they say, "Gee, you know, my, we're bringing our child here for for a year." And sometimes the consumer it's they bop and shop too soon. Yeah. But does the consumer really have consumer knowledge? Are they just blindly writing checks for tennis lessons or do they really know what they're paying for? Do they have the ability to evaluate competency mm-hmm. like this person? Do they just judge a lesson based on personality? Oh, mm-hmm. that was fun. Oh, I really like the coach. So consumer knowledge is a major factor, but then product knowledge is quite interesting too. It's like people that are selling at um, these sporting goods stores where they are selling all sorts of products. Right. All different sports. Right. And people say, well, yeah, they're making it on 98% people skills, 2% product knowledge. Yeah. In tennis, if there is a product, you have to produce it. That, and, and, and actually, even people that are not um, really knowledgeable from a technical standpoint, they can tell if someone's hitting the ball well because efficient strokes are aesthetically appealing. So, but with product knowledge, most 
tennis trainers, tennis teachers, tennis coaches, whatever the title may be, they're really lacking in product knowledge, but they know what they're selling. So really the tennis lesson becomes a street hustle. Yeah. So this is for junior tennis. The buyer is the parent, the seller is the coach, and then the taker is the junior. And if you were to compare it to say basketball, the, the junior's going, let's scrimmage coach. Yeah. What group am I in coach? Yeah. I don't like this drill coach. Yeah. Hoosiers, let's just shoot. And the only business is a repeat business. Let them, okay, we're going to make it fun because we want them to come back. Yeah. And it's actually done many times where kids are happy Monday through Friday and they go to the tournament on Saturday. They're not too happy. Yeah. I was just going to say, um, it goes back to, you know, making tennis a sport again. It, you know, it's, and it's fine to, to be an activity, you know, to get some exercise, have some enjoyment, but there needs to be a distinguishing line. I think it's like, okay, do you, do you really want to be an athlete in this? You want to have it be a sport or do you want it just to be your little once a week activity? Yeah. I think most of the time in tennis teaching, um, what happens is it's not teaching, it's unteaching. Yeah. You know, someone's played, you know, three or four years with poor instruction. And then they say, I'd like to really learn to play this game. Um, with, yep. uh, marketing, sell, sell, sell. I think there's, there's too much ego. That's a problem. There's too much greed. Mm -hmm. I think there's too much plagiarism. Yep. We're not, not giving credit where credit's due. Um, and the, with, along the same lines, not referencing work or being a ghost follower. Um, you know, what are your resources? And, and we'll get into that in more depth. Um, the, cons the consumer, the parent, the buyer, they need a BS detector. Mm. You know, that's where one of the things to grow the game is we need to bring honesty to the forefront, bring honesty to the forefront of tennis instruction. Uh, fact versus fiction. Uh, uh, Dave Anderson, who we interviewed in our last podcast, yeah. we're talking about tennis parents. You know, facts have no feelings. Mm -hmm. I mean, if your forehand's crummy, it's crummy. Mm -hmm. uh, we tell people this all the time. Uh, when crummy plays crummier, who wins? Yeah. Crummy wins, but they don't know they're crummy. Right. Um, you know, say a golfer, you know, they're compared in many ways, their game against the golf course. You know, a swimmer, you know, their game or they're, they're swimming against the clock. Yeah. A tennis kid is compared against the person on the other side of the net. Exactly. So as we went through this, we used a quote, Andy read through it and we came back to a quote. Because it does sound a little doom and gloom, like, oh, it's so negative. But it's not. Teddy Roosevelt, I'm not giving you hell. I'm just telling you the truth. And it sounds like hell. Yeah. Now, that applies to a kid's game. Um, your tennis game's a wreck. You know, your serve. The light at the end of the tunnel is the train coming right at you. Yeah. Um, but the same with the tennis industry. You can, you, it's, you know, they're one and the same. If kid after kid, and, and people leave the sport leave the sport and you know we i think we try to get them into uh tournaments i tell people and it sounds shocking but a lot of times club coaches are telling parents have your kid take lessons monday through friday come to the program play on the weekends mm -hmm. and i tell the parents that's sometimes that's because they, the, the pro are they're taking the weekends off <laughs> um with uh, another point was a coach should have a coaching tree it's so easy to get in the tennis profession. Mm -hmm. You know, you think if someone is coaching in high school or coaching in college, you know, they have to have a higher degree. They have to uh, pay their dues 
to be in that position. But really, any Tom, Dick, and Harry, if you got a ball hopper and an ego, heartbeat, yeah, you're good to go. You can make some money. And in this country, it's too easy to be a certified pro. I mean, I'm a member of the USPTA, PTR. Um, I'm going to bet that uh, over 40 years in both, if not just under. So combined 80 years. And I've been as a tester in both organizations. Right now, less than 50% of people are certified in this country. And certification doesn't mean education. Right. So, and it's uh, not to beat up on the young people today, but just through your fingertips. Okay, I've done some YouTube clips and... And, and it is true. You can learn to do almost anything on uh, the internet. I've yep. been told that. Not that I do anything outside of tennis teaching, but um, I think people are pretty hard pressed to learn how to hit a tennis ball by going through the internet because there's so much bad information. Yeah. So much bad information goes out so fast. Um, I think in tennis, we tend to promote ourselves. We need to promote tennis. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned, uh, you know, I ran a, my tennis school for a long time, uh, 15 years or more, it was called Tennis Smith. So mm-hmm. it, my name was in the name. And, you know, we understand where people need to be, like say the Andy Fitzell School of Tennis because of equity. You leave the facility and it's your program. You, you're, it's your name on the program. Right. But regardless, you need to put tennis first. And I do think that um, there's too many people that are overnight expert. Um, you know, Anderson uh, mentioned last week, 10 years to really know your craft. It takes 10 years to be a tennis player. Arthur Ashe said, okay, three years to be a fair player, five years to be a good player, um, then 10 years to be a great player. Yeah. I've heard you say this before where you say, hey, you know, do what's best for the kid first. If we're talking about junior tennis, and it could be a, a pro player too, any player, but it's, it's do what's best for the player first. And you could say for tennis first. No, for sure. If you do what you you have to reprimand a kid. Obviously, you want to reward a kid too, but it comes down to if it's good for the kid, it's good for the game, mm-hmm. and you do it. Yeah. Um, there's a major problem with pretending that we're developing local players. And th- that'll carry into some of the things we talk about with college tennis. Pretending to have taken players through all stages. And again, love to teach the beginner. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a matter of bringing new people into the game. You know, I mean, you could name some cities, uh, say, okay, let's go with the letter S, Seattle, Shreveport, Syracuse. And it's a pretty safe bet in those three cities. The merchants of flesh are trying to recruit the kids that are already on third base, the kids who can play a little bit instead of saying, hey, we got to teach new kids. Um, And there's, you know, recruiting, they come to my program. And the parents fall victim to that too, because they want to have their kid go hit with Johnny and sure. Um, I think that's the age old secret with the Academy is we're okay. We're going to give these kids scholarships. Yeah. Marketing. They're going to work as magnets and they're going to bring other people uh, into it. Yep. Um, Credibility. This is very important. Credibility means you're believable. Mm -hmm. Credibility doesn't mean you're truthful. Yeah. It is a bonus. If you're a really good player, like our celebrity coaches are, um, I mean, they bring a lot to the table, but they're mentors, they're confidants. It's not like, for example, they're, they're technicians, but the parents need to understand that. Yeah, rarely. Credibility means you're believable. Credibility doesn't mean you're truthful. Yeah. I've always heard you say that, and it's one of my favorite lines. And it's so, so true. 
Well, along those lines, we've, uh, we've scheduled a hypothetical meeting with the following people. We've got about a dozen people, and these people have literally lived the Great Base Tennis curriculum. And the topic of this conversation would be growing the sport. Yeah, one thing with that, that's what Mark Jeffries and his team wanted to get accomplished, and I'm sure they'll continue. Yeah. And I, I wish them the best is growing the game. Now, we, we could have picked a number of different people. Now, um, I've been in this thing a long time, 46 years. You always and, remind us how old you are. Yes. And what did you say about old people? One more time? One more time? Yeah. Although slow and dangerous behind the wheel, can still serve a purpose. I've been at That's so- That's from a movie, though. It's not me, folks. It's just a movie quote. And the movie's Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber. And I've, I hadn't seen the movie until recently. Because there's, <laughs> there's two now, right? Dumber. Was there a sequel? Yeah, there was a sequel. So I've only seen the first, first one. But, one. I, but I used to tell people, as far as consumer knowledge, is that that was a dumb lesson. Like yeah. The parent wrote the check, so it's dumb, dumb. and dumber. Yeah, exactly. But I've been in many meetings where, okay, group of people, you have eight people, 10 people, whatever. And you know, one person, you know, they want to sell hotel rooms. And one person, they're at the table and they want to sell memberships. Mm-hmm. It's almost like everybody has a different agenda, which I, I understand. Yeah. But when it comes down to people need to understand tennis, just like they understand the alphabet. Yeah. This is A, this is how it looks, this is the shape, this is the sound. Yeah. And can we agree and go on to B? Yeah. But I think that's where we really are not together in, in tennis teaching. Yeah. Okay, so number one, we've got Federation CEO Craig Tiley. Yeah, Tyler. Spent seven years under your tutelage. Yeah, he was at Tyler Junior College, seven years, and so many great things about Tyler is charisma, hardworking, but he lived the Great Base curriculum. Uh, 1981 uh, was the first accredited curriculum of its type. Uh, I had the opportunity at age 26 to revise his curriculum. So he was trained. Say, for example, uh, I, Craig never met uh, a Welby Van Horen but he was trained through that system. Um, go ahead, we'll go through, uh, I see this where, I'll let you go back to this list, but like Dave, Dave Fish is on this, and I was looking in our library um, over the weekend, and this is a great story. Um, his partner at that time was Gordon Graham. Gordon was in charge of the women's team. And Dave was in charge of the men's team. They had a, a, a very successful camp. Uh, Dave's wife, Bonnie, ran the camp. Hmm. And for 12 years, they used our curriculum. Now, Cheyenne Hawk from Bangladesh uh, had two degrees from Tufts, squash player. So he was sent to spend, or they, they, did, they wanted me to come up for a weekend and, and train the coaches. And I said, well, I could do that, but that's kind of like sugar on sugar cereal. <laughs> I mean, I've done it for years. I've got to go mm-hmm. someplace. And I'm going to train people for three days. Mm-hmm. I said, why don't you send your uh, camp director to Tampa, where I was based at the time? So Cheyenne came down and he he called up and said, three days is going to do it. And he stayed closer to three weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had to go home, rearrange his schedule, and come back. Mm-hmm. But we have a, it's a Harvard uh, curriculum, the, the tennis camp curriculum. Yeah, I've seen that. And, um, you know, it's... It's the Welby Van Horn is a three eight system of balance of body balance positions. Yeah. So, I mean, he had an off the chart personality for being a teacher, Cheyenne, but he was just trained so fast, and you know that needs needs to happen. But yeah, let's go through a hypothetical meeting. If we have people that are 
Go ahead, Don, go through the list. A national coach. Or- yeah, so I've got Craig, um, Federation national coach Matt Clore. Spent 14 years on various projects. Yeah, no, I've known Matt since he recruited my son, Connor. Now, um, he's an excellent tennis player. But my son said, you know, and um, I had never met Matt, but I knew his name because he was born in 1984. Rather to Hart, who I coached forever, was born in 1984. I just knew the name Matt mm-hmm. Clore. So um, then I got to know Matt through the recruiting process with so many stories. So he's in Tampa with his players and his players, they, they have a fall tournament. They, all four of them lose on a Saturday. So he calls me up and he goes, Hey, can we just come over to your place on a Sunday? You can look at these guys. Yeah. So they show up and, um, it's just about to rain. So I say, okay, it's just, it's going to rain guys. Your choice, pick two strokes, your strength, your weakness. So then we go into the classroom and then from that point forth, Matt just immersed himself um, into studying what we've studied. And people can do that by using our online content. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, keep going down the list. Um, I've got uh, college coach Steve Denton. Okay, Steve, I mean, he was number two in the world in doubles, number 11 in singles. And he he respected the fact that he's from Texas, and he respected that we were developing so many high school state champions, champions yeah. which is very unusual for a touring pro. Like, you know, what are they doing there? Uh, because a lot of times a touring pro, they're just, that they just don't um, connect. It's, it's not like they're look, they're looking down upon a high school player, but they're just, that's just not a part of their world, part of their day to day. But he hired uh, a couple of my students and one in particular um, just said, no, Steve, that's not right. No, Steve, that's not right. And he humble, he called me up and, you know, several times I went to uh, to work, and he was he's somebody who's lived our curriculum. Yeah. So the whole point is that you can take an administrator like Tylee, a national coach like Clore, college coach like Denton, and they're all on the same page. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. We've got high school coach Kevin Record, and he's used the uh, Great Base curriculum for 10 years. Yeah, great guy. He actually uh, recommended Kevin to uh, Mark Jeffries. He was part of the summit. Right. Super, no. super guy. Yeah. He's one thing about Kevin is he won state championships, but right now he's had a um, hundred people on his tennis team. Yeah. I mean, he's making tennis uh, a popular, popular sport. And that's, yeah. you know, I think he was excellent because of growing the game. Growing that's the game, that's yeah. what he's doing. Yeah. Great story. Current touring pro Raven Glosson. You rebuild his entire game from the age of 18 to 22. I know in Tampa. Yeah. I think for our listeners, I mean, he was ranked one and two PJ Domdo. Um, remember PJ when he was uh, 16 or 17 had a win over Andy Roddick, but you know PJ didn't make the changes. Now he's a teaching pro now, but um, and I heard from him uh, you know afterwards that he had wished that he had made those changes. Mm. But anyway, Raven he was all in. He was all in, um, and you know we have it all on film, document development. But yeah. there's a touring pro that could go out and teach a beginner. You know, yeah. he'd have to circle back and come spend some time with us as far as the group dynamics goes. I mean, his intellect, but he's, a, you know, he's not around. Okay, how am I going to teach, you know, 24 players at one time? Yeah. But at the same time, uh, actually, when he was on the Davis Cup team, he played for somebody that we trained, uh, John Lafayaga, and Raven did TV. He would go to the Davis Cup, but he wasn't in the, in the lineup. Mm. So he would... Um, you know, have the microphone 
very, very knowledgeable guy. Anybody who's played doubles with him, yeah. I mean, he's a student of the game. You know, if his wife and his uh, son are not with him at a tournament when he's on tour, he hangs out the whole day and just watches tennis. Yeah. Um, but there's a connection of information between all these. Yeah. Camp I men- I, yeah, I mentioned, I see where you get yeah. uh, Dave, Dave Fish. Fish, camp director, um, with, you know, 12 years is a long time. Yeah. And um, at one point, you know, Dave had me meet with uh, Dave Benjamin, who was running the Intercollegiate Tennis Association, with the idea that we would have a curriculum at tennis camps nationwide. You know, tennis camps, I think that's the second best position to teach. The best position or the best group is PE classes because they just want the credit. Yeah. There's no ego. Yeah. They just want the credit. I've had so much fun teaching PE classes. Yeah, same. But with um, a tennis camp, you know, high-level juniors don't go to a tennis camp. But years ago, I mean, I I would say I'm a tennis camp junkie. At one, one time, I lived in a van for two years. One year, it was just traveling around playing tournaments because I was told, okay, you, you got to be a, a ranked player. You have to yeah. prove that you can play. But I travel over the United States for a year going from tennis camp to tennis camp. Did you ever live in your van down by down, a river? Down by the river. Matt <laughs> Foley, motivational speaker. Never. Saturday night. But live. I think you should add that every once in a while, depending on who you're talking to. Just be like, hey, I lived in a van down by the river. No, we should have a podcast and living in a van <laughs> down by the river. <laughs> I am a van man. Uh, Dave Anderson's on the list in Academy. We could have put yeah. so many people run academies, but um, Club Pro, Pro Richard Hernandez. I don't know. I mean, Dave Anderson. I mean, if uh, the listeners, if you didn't catch last week's episode six, we spoke to Dave Anderson. Yeah, and there's somebody you know, you know, four hundred plus, five hundred, a, a large number of students over a twenty-five plus year career yeah. have gone on to play college tennis. Yeah. Less than 3% of juniors play, play college tennis. It's awesome. Um, but, you know, say, for example, uh, you know, go back to the top, Craig Tiley, Matt Clore. Um, if I start sentences, they can finish them right. or vice versa. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's just common denominators. Yeah. Hernandez, uh, we talked to him about a podcast. Uh, it's to talk about Canadian tennis. Yeah, we'll get him on here. Um, yeah, next... Um, yeah, the you know on the internet, um, Florian Meyer and Greg Lasur. I know they each completed apprenticeships with you. I know Florian one year and and Greg three years. I was around some of the time he was around. Yeah, I saw where OTI. I saw a list, and again, hats off to them that they were ranked in the top ten as far as um, online tennis education, number of followers, that type of thing. Yeah, with no. with, with that. Um, you know, Vic Braden would say um, there is no Vic Braden method. It's a method of physical law. Yeah. You know, Einstein was here before us. Um, so it's a marketing thing. They do have the, the, o, the OTI method, but the OTI method is predominantly the great base method. Oh, exactly. <laughs> but the great base method, it's not the Steve Smith, the method. <laughs> exactly. It, it's, and you know, and that's where people, you know, we'll go through that. That's a, that's, a, they're doing a great job in many, many ways, but it's, if that's a problem where, um, everybody's like, oh, okay, you know, I've got the angle. This is yeah. new. This is it's my know, thing. I, I've discovered this and yeah, you haven't discovered anything. Yeah. And I think it just adds to confusion. Yeah. No, exactly. I remember being, uh, when I first met Florian at the Indian Wells tournament, when 
they allowed people to go film there kind of unregulated. And so a lot of these online people would just go film and then use the footage of pro players to kind of attract people to their YouTube channel and then they could sell their, their stuff. But um, Florian, you know, I talked to him and he, he wanted to get Vic before Vic passed away. He wanted us to do a course on, you know, pro shots and volleys. And um, that never came together, but he, he did do an interview with Vic. I, I do remember setting, it's helping him set that it's up. A, yeah, Two telephone conversations. It's yeah, online. yeah. Um, we've got club owner Brian Clark. And yeah, Brian owns a club up in Cincinnati. His father owned it. Now he runs it with his brother. Um, you know, I do unfortunately know some club owners that have uh, converted to all soccer. So that's another reason to talk about, about growing the game. Yeah. Um, you know, so Brian has a lifetime in tennis. I know one time he told me there's so much dirty money yeah. in tennis teaching. You know, in other words, if someone's giving a lesson and they have no rationale. And, you know, it's like, can you really sleep at night? You're giving a lesson, you're, you're making it up as you go along. But there's two levels of ignorance. You don't know and you don't know. There's a lot of people that don't know that they're incompetent. Yeah, they don't know, they don't know. It's a scary part. Tennis parent Rob Krychek. Yeah, I think of Rob. Uh, I've known Rob, I just have to go by his son Austin's age, so I've known Rob 23 years. But there would be somebody as a parent that has consumer knowledge. Yeah. Um, inside perspective on all stages of tennis. I talked to Austin at one time. I remember I talked to Ashley Weinhold. Now, I had a, a lot to do with Austin's tennis, very little to do with Ashley. She was a number one player in the in the country in the 18s. Excuse me, before I, before I worked with her. But her mother and father, they went through this program, this two-year program. Mm. Guy and Lisa, they worked in Europe for Braden for a year. And they did a couple of country club stints. One was in um, Oklahoma. Then they came back and he was in, they were in Tyler, Texas. Um, with um, the tennis parent, to have a tennis parent be educated, where they, they know all different phases um, no substitute for a good beginning. Mm -hmm. you know, um, but yeah, so there, there's all sorts of tennis parents we could put down. Um, but you know, we just made this list, 12 categories. Um, and if we just, just think of everybody from these different categories, if they all were in agreement yeah. on core principles, yeah, core principles of tennis instruction. The last person I have on the list is, uh, Activist, author, business consultant, Javier Palenque. Now, Javier, he was a keynote speaker to this summit. Yeah. And, you know, certainly um, we're going to put this uh, document on our Facebook page. And I think that you should uh, look Javier up and, you know, he is for the game. And he's certainly very critical of the governing body of tennis. Um, I think that's one great thing about uh you know, freedom of speech. Mm. So he, he's not, um, you know, you know, edifying. If there's a problem, you know, he's saying, okay, here's the problem. Here's a solution. Things have to be, be better. But he's somebody who's been around us quite a bit. I mean, I've known him 10 years now where um, initially just, you know, meetings. I remember going to meet Javier. I just talked to him on the phone and said, hey, I'll drive up to Orlando to talk to you. And he was just at a little kid tennis function. Uh you know, I know he traveled one time. I was doing a, a, a camp in North Carolina. I mean, I can remember him being with me day by day at the Orange Bowl. Uh, but he, but again, he's somebody who um, I know has been contacted by the the new CEO of uh, of the USTA. I think that you know, circling back on this, um, 
I see you have some notes here also at the bottom, but you know, you know, the, it'd be interesting, like the, the new CEO of USDA, if, if he knew Craig Tyler's background, because Craig Morris, who now is, I think, not the number two guy in the USDA, mm. he worked for Craig Tiley. If the new CEO were to sit down with Matt Clore, um, even the, you know, the coaches that he works with. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at that level, you know, they're working, they're walking on eggshells a little bit, working within a player's game. Yeah. You know, say, yeah, you know. Hey, we, we know you're a really good junior. We know you won some international titles, but we think you need to take, we, we don't think, we know you need to take six <laughs> months off and, and fix your serve, that type mm-hmm. of thing. Um, but yeah, um, with, um, but by listening to the group's discussion, one would find out that everybody on, in the room, from a high school coach to a college coach to a club owner, touring pro, whatever, that they understand teachings information transfer. Exactly. So what's the information? It has to be the title of the topic is fact-based instruction. Yeah. Uh, regarding fact-based instruction, there'd be a, a bountiful number of common denominators. Mm-hmm. Uh, there'd be a tennis language that in the end that would produce results. It wouldn't be a matter of sound bites. You know, it doesn't make sense for everybody to share their, or to put in their own two cents. Mm-hmm. Sound bites cannot overrule science. You know, so the critics would say, well, you're saying tennis is a science. I think of being in um, Paris, you know, Patrick Mortagolo, he's moved his place to, uh, now he has a new facility in, in uh, the south of France. But he said to me one time, you're just about tennis math. <laughs> well, you need to know that tennis is both a science and an art. It's an inexact science because it's played by people, but you can't violate physical laws. Right. So we have these questions. Can we agree upon the tennis court being a rectangle, not a circle? Right. Can we agree upon the fact that water runs downhill, not uphill? Um, can we agree that the bridge looks good? That's the art. Yeah, the bridge looks good, <laughs> but because it's made of bamboo, the cars won't go across the bridge. Um, here's another example with online education. Um, here's four generations of tennis teaching. Um, Two-Minute Tennis. It's an educational online program founded by Ryan Reedy. The presentations are excellent. The information is excellent. Now, here's the coaching tree. Um, And I worked with Ryan um, when he was a a teenage player. But I basically, I taught Jim Klein. Mm -hmm. Jim Klein was a student of mine for two years, and he's one of those students who stayed connected. Um, Jim, at one point, was available to go volunteer at a club. You know, Vic Braden called me up and said, hey, can you send someone to help me out? And he was doing a club at Doylestown. I said, yeah, I got just a guy. And the owner wanted to pay Jim. And Jim said, no, he worked for Vic for a weekend. He said, no, no, I'm not going to accept any money. Based on that, next thing you know, Jim is the director of tennis. He's running the club. (laughs) And I think now, uh, you know, he's in the position where he's going to purchase the club. Mm. But so Ryan, you know, certainly he was trained by me, but basically he was trained by Jim Klein. So it's just, it's a generation. So my, my mentors, so Ryan does, he gives a lot of credit to the late Vic Braden, which is great. But for example, he's also been indirectly trained by, i say a Welby Van Horn, mm-hmm. you know, Bill Jacobson, Dennis the, Vandermeer. The, Dennis Vandermeer, the eight, the eight pillars that we list. But our course, Tennis Intelligence Applied, which is a 25-hour course. It's online. It's free. In that one course, we mentioned over 100 coaches. Mm-hmm. So this is not to discredit Ryan at all, but this is where it's confusing. 
because there's too much selling. You know, he hasn't done anything wrong. He's done so much right. But internet marketing should not create a perception. Same thing with Greg Lesore and Florey Meyer. It should not create a perception that new information has been researched and discovered. Yeah. Because it hasn't been. Yeah. I remember when we were, um, you know, my good buddy uh, Warren Pretorius with Tennis Analytics. One year he came to one of our workshops down in Tampa. And we were talking about analytics and um, dartfish, you know, video analysis, those kind of things. And he he said, basically, we're not rediscovering, but we're just we're just kind of seeing everything that Vic Braden had already discovered. Yeah, Warren's a great guy. But Vic did a commercial for Dartfish, and, it, and the commercial was, "Hi, I'm Vic, and I Dartfish. I Dartfish." Yeah, and really, what it should have been was, Dartfish is doing what I was doing 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah, and, and Warren Vittorius, he knows that. Yeah, uh, it was really through you and through Dave Nostrand. I was I had met Warren years ago. And I was at a USPTA conference. I sat in the back and listened to him, went up, talked to him afterwards. And I said, so you circled back and you uh, spent time with Braden. And, and he's, he's an intellectual in my book. So he said to me, I wasn't as smart as you. He goes, you just got it the first time. I would hear Vic speak here and there. And I'd get a little nugget. But then it was through his time at the tennis school in uh, St. George. Yeah, I mean, right. I, I worked with him for two years. He was a tennis director in uh, at the Park City Racquet Club. Okay, I was engaged at the time, and uh, my girlfriend, my fiance, lived up there. So I worked at the Park City Racquet Club for a couple of years, and so you know, we got into dartfish really at the same time, um, as far as video analysis goes. And then I had my Braden background you know, already at to some level at that point, and then he did come down and, and help teach for us later later on down the road in St. George, I think a couple times. Yeah, I know we are being repetitive, but that's certainly part of learning. But again, we told the listeners from uh, our presentation for the summit that we would go through these notes. Uh, Warren Pretorius does a great job. Um, But I've told him he was here to visit. The real analytics are the numbers. So coming back to Patrick Mortagolo, oh, you're all about math. Or whatever. (laughs) Is that... Um, you need to know the numbers of the dimensions of the court. You need to know the ramifications of the grip. Yeah. And if you don't, um, you know, I told a couple of girls here that, you know, I draw a dive to the tennis court and, you know, okay, how far is it from here to here and here to here? And what's this angle? And they, had, they couldn't answer any questions. And I said, well, I can't have a conversation with you. Yeah. They kind of looked at me. Um, because I think a lot of times kids uh, just, they really want the coach to just spoon feed them. They don't think they have to be an independent right, right. thinker. Well, so resources, honoring and appreciating tennis teachers and coaches, as well as tennis players from the past. We've talked about the internet a little bit already, but the internet's almost 30 years old. And Vic used to say this all the time is that so much bad information is going out so fast and the tennis profession overall is not that professional because it's totally unregulated. Anything goes and two plus two is really whatever one wants it to be. And the expression we're on the same page, you know, unfortunately tennis people aren't even from the same book, but you know, we always say there is a book, Vic Braden's tennis 2000. I consider that a tennis Bible of sorts. Um, but Vic Braden Tennis 2000, before that, it's obviously the updated version of Tennis for the Future. But facts develop principles. 
And a Braden principle that we use all the time is the dimensions of the court and physical laws dictate stroke production, no coach's opinion or any unique theory. Now with that, uh, I grew up, uh, remember being in Catholic school, I, I have 20, 30 people say this at one time, the dimensions of the court. Mm-hmm. It sounds like mechanical training. <laughs> yeah. The dimensions of the court and physical laws yeah. dictate stroke production, no coach's opinion or any unique theory. Yeah. But I've made coaches memorize that. And then when it's like, wait a minute, okay, now I, I need to know the dimensions of the court. I need yeah. to know physical laws. Yeah, yeah. So, the, when, yeah the grips. I mean, um, yeah, but it's amazing. Um, I was with a coach friend last year and... I just got to talking about, you know, the height of the net in the center. And it was like, yeah, it's, you know, six inches lower, especially when the single sticks are there. And I was like, what? Really? Like, yep. So I think, you know, overall, whenever we do workshops, it's surprising how many people don't know the dimensions of the court. Yeah, you know, the thing where um, you stand in the baseline, you take your racket, you point it down the line. You tell, okay, you tell a student, like a teacher with a pointer, close your eyes and point to the other corner of the court. And they point to the next court. You know, that's where that 19.1 degrees. Yeah. So at the moment, at the impact point, um, again, it's the tennis court from the baseline unless it's less than 20 degrees wide. Yeah. And if you, if you know those facts, it's like, okay, I think I'm going to buy in. I don't like that expression to a vertical swing versus a horizontal swing. Exactly. Um, yep. No, so, so important. Yeah. And then physical laws, obviously. And we, we always say, you know, just some basics. Do you know how to get true topspin? What hap- has to happen from a physics aspect? Braden, what will happen if you play? Spin? What will happen if you play someone who hits true topspin on the forehand side and the backhand side? You, <laughs> you will, will lose. lose. <laughs> you will finish second in a field of two. Yeah. Um, with true topspin, though. Very few kids hit true topspin. Yeah. And I know I was taught a continental grip. I changed it slightly. As a result, I had a late contact point. I always pinched my shoulder and I couldn't hit true top. Yeah. On the backhand side, you hang onto a hockey stick the same way you hang onto a tennis racket. I mean, obviously your hands are further apart on a hockey stick mm. and I could hit true topspin on the backhand side. But I was in tennis for five years taking lessons, working night, perennial tennis, bum of Boca Raton, Florida. I was really in tennis five years before I felt I met someone. I met great people, took lessons, worked nights, took lessons. Mm. And um, it was actually Andy Brandy. Andy Brandy's brother, Joe, I was working for All American Sports. Mm. And it was like, whoa. You know, there it was just uh, some information that you could kind of, okay, here's a pen. I can, it's, it's tangible. That I, I, I can grasp that. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. When Vic passed away, he was honored by so many people, but but many continue to say that his work is no longer relevant. And we always say, you know, physics is not a fad. Tennis math has to be understood. And then Einstein, if you know your subject matter, you can explain it to a six-year-old. Vic, you had this other great line, there's no such thing as little strokes for little folks. You want to program the brain efficiently from the beginning. You want to begin with the end in mind. And you want to learn tennis that you'll never forget. And you want to learn in a manner where there's less chance of getting injury. So we always say when you're going to make technical changes, the first reason why is so that you can prevent injuries to be efficient. Yeah, I think so many things, um, no such thing as a little little strokes for little folks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because if you say, well, they're just a little kid, well, I'm served this way. Yeah. Then you're going to have to deprogram, reprogram. Yeah. Now, I'm re- rereading uh, 
updated version of Richard Schmidt, you know, his um, motor learning book. And Vic used to talk about this all the time that you'll start to develop a motor program after eight hits. So you got to have fun, but you got to have fun and try to get some good fundamentals right away. Ask Doc and Ask Doc. Mm -hmm. I do have a breakdown of the education system. <laughs> and it's, um, this is probably not appropriate, but when it comes down to um, the word SHIT, um, elementary school, evolving, blank. Junior high, just horrible, blank. High school, <laughs> blank, or hot, blank, hot, blank. They think they're hot, blank. You go to a two-year school, you get a, an ample amount of blank, the AAS. Um, and you have to get a, an undergraduate degree, a BS. Um, and I think everyone knows what BS means. But then if you want to be able to BS a BSer, you have to go to grad school. You have to get an MS, which means more blank. <laughs> but if you really want to be the kingpin, you've got to go to school forever, jump through all the hurdles, and you have to get a PhD. That means that your blank is piled higher and deeper than everybody else's. <laughs> but uh, we put this down, ask Doc and ask Doc. 40 years apart, Jack Gropple and Mark Kovacs. Now, Jack Gropple and I are both spoon-fed by Vic Braden at the same time. It was great. Andy and I recently uh, had a Zoom call. And, yeah. Uh, Paul McDonald, teaching pro up in Chicago, great guy who also, also worked for Vic, put it together. Um, you know, Mark Kovacs, an Aussie, played tennis at Auburn, won an NCAA doubles title. So he's like the complete package where he's played the game. It's certainly an Australian background. So they're two educators, they're experts in their specific field of study. Now, our point with that is their work is separated by 40 years. Mm -hmm. You know, why do we have to reinvent the wheel? Um, I was at a, a PTR function speaking, and it rains, um, and we all have to go inside. Mm -hmm. And there's this one large room, a very, very nice convention center. So Mark is, you know, he's a young guy just starting off, but... I mean, he has his playing background, great personality. And it was not like he's a rookie, but it was many years ago. I can just mm -hmm. tell because it was uh, Patrick Gibson. So Patrick is, I'm going to guess, 20 now. That's a pretty good guess. Yeah, he's a little, yeah. He just, you know, a junior, where he went to A&M for a year. And so at the time, um, you know, Patrick, you know, I'm going to say, okay, he was 10. So maybe he was 11. So I had, I was a supplemental coach for Patrick. Matt Clore was coaching him. Mm. And so he marks up on the stage and he's going through Patrick's serve. And so, you know, good, bad, or indifferent it has nothing to do with what he had to say, but it's, you know, why do we have to reinvent the wheel? I mean, with basics should be understood in tennis. Why aren't they, why aren't they understood? They are in other sports, like say the, the technique from the foul line. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, maybe Shaquille O'Neal. I guess he's not very good throwing a foul, foul <laughs> shot. I really like that guy though. But when it comes down to, okay, my, your toes are going to face this way. Your shoulders are going to face this way. You're going to have your palm go towards your target. Yeah. Um, you know, a sprinter coming out of the starting blocks or how do you throw baseball or football? At, at, at least again, common denominators. Um, the, the expertise should be in a space other than what we already understood is common tennis knowledge. Yeah. And again, that's where the consumer, the consumer is confused. Like, oh, I've done this new research and I, I've, you know, I've developed palm down yeah. on the surf. Yeah. 
it's or like, pre-stretch forehand. I mean, yeah, you know, the the term modern tennis has been going around for a long, long time, many, 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 many years now. But both Jack and, and Mark, um, you know, Jack Grapple and Mark too. But I mean, just great presenters and great energy. But forty years apart, the formula is basics, basics, basics. Yeah, and repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah. But what happens is people don't know basics. Now, typically at a tennis teaching conference, people want, you know, pros go, they want to learn new drills. Yeah. Because they all pretend, I, well, yeah, I don't need to hear basics. We all, I know basics. Mm-hmm. Well, if you know basics, so, you know, let's, let's watch your kids play. Let's watch your, your, your adult program. Yep. Now, moving on to um, campaigns. And in tennis, you know, we really need more drives, initiatives, and action plans. And for example, um, play one bounce doubles for 15 minutes in every junior practice. Teach a beginner once a week and call someone to practice with before and after practice. Those would be big ones. Yeah, you know, one thing today, I understand where parents, rightfully so, their children are underprepared and overprotected. The days of just letting your kid get on the bike and ride to the park and Go play on their own, and then your your mom <laughs> mom rings a bell, and you come in for dinner. Come bye bye. That doesn't that doesn't happen. But no. just because practice starts at nine and ends at eleven, doesn't mean you can't get there early. It doesn't you, you can't leave late. You know, uh, well, if there's not a tennis court, you can be creative and practice. It, you know, in the in the parking lot. Yeah. Um, the um, no, so you know, maybe strong words here, but I've got in the U.S. tennis is broken and it needs to be fixed. No more tennis snobs. Just no more tennis snobs. You got to play with everybody. And if everybody played with a lower level player just once a week, so much more tennis would be played. And you got to teach beginners, you got to volunteer, and you got to donate time. Yeah, I think one problem we have in junior tennis is the upper level kids, they don't even know the names. It's stratified. They, they don't even know the names. Yeah. You know, that's where you, you can start a junior program, especially if you have multiple courts, you can start all the kids at one time. You know, they can, they can work on basics together. Yeah. The compatibility factors. Yeah. Certainly the eight year old is not going to be playing the 18 year old, but if they don't even know each other by name. Boy, a lot of things are really missing because it's a train. The 18s need to pull the 16s, the 16s need to pull the 14s. Yeah. I think it's, there's that idea that oh yeah, I got those basics down or, you know, I don't need to practice those anymore. You know, and so the thought of, okay, let's just say you're ranked top 10 in the country and you're a 16 year old, there's no way you're going to be practicing with a beginning eight year old that you would be working on the same basic drill. Yeah. Too cool for school. Side by side. Too cool for school. And, uh, you know, years ago I went to Prague to study tennis and I was really amazed. Um, Lena Sukova and as her brother, um, C-Y-R-I-L-O, um, played doubles, you know, the Suk and Sukova. Oh, yeah, Cyril. Cyril, okay. So he was uh, 11 years old. So the coach I was assigned to, he had six players, all different ages, all different levels. Hmm. It was really amazing. Um, with, you know, it's almost like, oh, oh, I don't teach beginners. I just work with advanced players. Hmm. And I think that's a big problem, especially in American tennis. Yeah. Um, it's like saying that you're a, you teach reading, but you can't, teach a beginner to read. Yeah. You know, so yeah, the alphabet. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I see where you have teaching beginners, volunteer, donate time. Yeah. Uh, another problem in the U S 
backboards. Now we have our great base portable backboard, but mm. you know, we're telling young kids if you, ideally if you could have three backboards, that means that their parents can't live in an apartment, they have to have a garage. So on a rainy day, indoor inside the garage, you put up a piece of plywood, you could take the transition balls, take a foam ball. You got to find ways to hit more balls. Mm-hmm. The portable backboard is very good. It has a, an upward incline. But we're talking about a regular backboard at a high school, at a park, at a, at a club. They're not built anymore because they don't make money. Yeah, And that's unfortunate. Ladders, um, it used to be, play, there'd be a citywide ladder. There'd be a club ladder. And ladders are not run anymore because they don't make money. Yeah. So that comes back to what we initially said is that we need to make tennis less of a business and we need to do, is, is our sport remaining a sport? Yeah. Um, the thing is, you know, if you do that, you are going to get new players and it'll all come back. Yeah. It's like the, the uh, <laughs> profit versus people versus profit. You know, if you keep doing the right things, yeah, it'll circle back to you. Yeah. Um, everybody teaches peer teaching kids, regulate kids. Yeah. But, but, it, but coming back to our hypothetical group, if every person, a club owner, um, an author, uh, college coach, whoever, if they all understand this is the ready position, yeah. if you want to have the ball, you know, go around the beach ball, high, low, high, letter C, over the bridge, up the hill. If you want to have the ball rotate this way, there's certain <laughs> principles that you have to yeah. honor. Yeah, exactly. So the KISS method, keep it simple, stupid. Kids are not stupid. Don't underestimate the capacity of the learner. Yeah. Uh, Einstein, you know, if you know your subject matter, you can teach it to a six-year-old. So that way, tennis instruction becomes less costly, becomes more friendly, user-friendly. Here's another solution. Incorporate all levels. Be creative. Have a forum tournament. No, you know, being an American, I have been uh, in some USDA meetings. I was in a meeting one time, Andy Brandy, Jose Garris, Martin Blackman. Um, you know, they were all at that time in a different capacity but with whatever their titles may have been. And I was asked, because there are several coaches in this large meeting in Boca Raton, um, Steve, what do you think? And um, we need to have a forum tournament. You know, the, the USTA had quick start, then they dropped the name quick because of some legal issues with QuickBooks. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, we've, we've already talked about that's where the name Great Base came from, is that it's not a matter of a quick start, it's a matter of the right start. Right. But if you have a forum tournament, you put up posters of all the best players showing fundamentally sound positions. You know, Roger Federer in the salute position, yeah, not the pizza position. You know, Serena Williams, all these great players. They're not violating physical laws. Yeah. And the human eye can't see what they're doing, but you show them at the impact point. Yeah. Uh, Looks the same. So with little kids, and Vandermeer is a genius at this, is use trickery. Have prizes for form. Mm -hmm. Play statue. You know, Mm -hmm. high, low, high. Reach up, shake hands with a giant. Um, So that's much better to have prizes for form. Reward that in the early ages. opposed, Opposed to giving out the two inch trophy for playing the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Effort, effort, form, attitude, character. It's like who wins the 12 and unders, the kid who wins the 12 and unders, he stayed, started very early and he's usually got a Western grip on the forehand. Uh, So he's going to be with his high contact points, going to get the racket face vertical. He's going to be shoveling a two handed backhand. The people on YouTube can see how your, your elbow tucked way in and, 
the uh, <laughs> yeah, where your the racket's going to hit your earlobe, and with um, palm up serve, start to toss over your head a little bit, start going this way, yeah, and you announce a score, your human scoreboard. Plus, you cheat like crazy. I mean, that's how you become a really good twelve-year-old. You know, if you teach people to play the right way, they go to the net to lose at a faster rate. Yeah, that's where even being creative with a little kid tennis, where why can't we have them play with the orange ball? They're playing doubles, and um, everybody's just got to go to the net. Yeah, everybody's got to go to the net, and you play one bounce doubles. Yeah, with um, but yeah, at the impact point, the pros. Yeah, people have to understand that the pros are. 90% or more the same at the impact point. You know, where's the head, their own head? Yeah. Where's the left shoulder on Santa forehand? You know, is the arm better straight? What's the wrist position? What's that contact point? Right there at the hip. They used to do silhouettes. And back when the men in the 70s wore their hair long, um, you know, there's a, a big brain had uh, a picture of Chris Everett and Ely Nastasi. You know, they had completely different approaches to the ball yeah but at the impact point they were, it looked like it was the same person yeah and then really then it's just like it comes down to with different approaches to the ball it's still hey which one's going to be more efficient and we always use the analogy or the example hey you can circle your hand around your head twice and scratch your ear or just reach up and scratch your ear one's going to be easier more efficient fewer moving parts less muscular effort than the other um, so really when it comes down to people watch the pros for examples of technique but a lot of the pros aren't really that efficient you know even though they're pros a lot of physical specimens a lot of warriors exactly another idea concept starting pre-academies you know stop telling kids they're elite when they're not incorporate other sports within tennis training to enhance athletic ability yeah, say even with adult tennis. Now, we spent so much time talking about junior tennis, but adult tennis, in the 70s, when the NTRP, the National Tennis Rating Program, came out, what happened with club pros is they wanted to be popular. So some say someone was a, an adult player, they were 3-0, mm-hmm. but they were told they were 3-5. Yeah. So killing people with kindness doesn't help out. Um, I mention this all the time. I played ice hockey. You know, you work and work. You start off as... Um, a novice, a squirt, you know, you finally, <laughs> at, at 12 years old, you're finally a peewee. Yeah. Um, you know, incorporate other sports into training as well. Um, but I, you know, kids come out, it's not a matter okay, we got to get this six-year-old come to tennis every day, mom. If they do, if they are going to come quite a bit, they need to be playing a little basketball, a little soccer. They just need to be doing athletic skills. Yeah. Coming back to stop telling kids they're elite when they're not. I've had so many coaches, especially young coaches, I have a little bit of uh, sarcasm. And hi, I'm a, I'm Joe. I'm a high performance coach. I say hi. I'm Steve. I'm a low performance coach. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the kids are not high performance. Yeah, it is not high performance. Well, and really, what it comes down to, all good tennis players is, you know, the guys that are really really great. They're living their life to be great. And so, a lot of these kids, it's like, sorry, but you're not living your life to be considered elite. Or high performance, even. Yeah, you need to know the history of your sport. You know, you take Lendl. You know, his mother was number two in Czechoslovakia when he was just born. She wanted to be number one. Or Sampras's sister. I always tell people, yeah, Sampras is number one in the world for six years, but there was more than six years where Stella could beat him. Mm-hmm. He wasn't the number one in his household. Yeah. So I think tennis history and having perspective. But one of the worst things you can do, especially when a kid is just a big fish in a small pond, is tell someone they're good when they're not. Yeah. Another idea here, skills test or skill test. Anything that can be measured can be improved. 
tennis skills like reading skills can be measured. Can the player hit targets? Can they hit the designated target? You want to, sorry. Yeah, that's a definition of tennis, running, hitting targets with a score. It comes yeah. from Braden. Braden used to just say hitting targets. Mm-hmm. We say running, hitting targets with a score. You know, the hitting is the technical. The running is the, the physical. The target is the tactical. And the score is uh, the mental emotional. Yeah. Uh, we have people come to see us uh, from here, there, and everywhere. And we put them through a tiebreaker test. They have to hit six shots to go up one zero. And we're talking about, we're going to hit you a forehand volley. We're going to feed it to you. It's a courtesy feed. It's going to be coming 22 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And the service box is the size of a small living room. It's 21 by 13 and a half. Can you hit the forehand volley in that service box? And it's amazing. Kids will have a high sectional ranking. They, their scores are 07, 07. Yeah. And with... Um, Anything that can be measured can be proved. So we tell kids, uh, first of all, we tell kids, before you ever come back, if you can, your parents should build a backboard because it's expensive to come and visit us, get on yeah. airplanes and stay in hotels and such. Yeah. But when it comes down to um, a skills test, kids come back and I ask them, have you been doing the tiebreaker tests? And they go, no. Yeah. Parents really should do that. They're going to get out and they should. They should get out and feed their kid balls. And what they should do is, Set up the five targets we set up and just feed them the tiebreaker test. Yeah. Now you can change it. We're okay. Now play a conventional forehand approach volley or play an underspin backhand approach. Eye. Yeah. But instead of the parent masquerading, trying to pretend they can teach, um, what they should do is say, let's just do the skills test. And really they should reverse it where they have the kid, uh, hey, why don't you feed me some? Yeah. And then even have the kid teach the parent if exactly. the parent's not a tennis person. Yeah. Information transfer, basics, 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 repeat, repeat, repeat. Document development, film from day one, show pre and post films, show improvement and progress, create procedures for accountability. Yeah, we have on our website, we have a course. Uh, I went to a USDA program and it was an assignment for the, was it called the high performance coaching course? Yeah. The high, yeah, USD high performance coaching that. program. Yeah, I've been high performance for many, many years now. I went 2004, I believe I went. So long, long time. I went to the course. I'm still low performance, but I, I'm working. Only just a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, I was, yeah. I'm a slow learner. Yeah, welcome to the club. With, uh, but yeah, document development, show improvement, accountability. Yeah. Um, here's something, problem. Evaluate the pathway of a beginning tennis teacher. Most start off as a glorified sparring partner. The consumer doesn't have consumer knowledge. They want to find a shortcut for their son, Tommy, you know, their daughter, Jennifer, they want to find a shortcut. So they're going to hire somebody who can hit the ball. And, you know, maybe it's someone who wasn't quite good enough to make their college lineup, but they're the best player in the area. And they, they, they certainly hit the ball uh, better than the juniors. So I've said this before, people heard me, it's on our, course tennis intelligence applied in boxing they wear a helmet yeah they wear a mouth guard and so the sparring partner boxing doesn't have a speaking part yeah so what happens is a consumer pays a sparring partner too much money and they, they feel compelled to talk and that's where their coaching career begins yeah because they could hit the ball yeah. it's, it's it's that it's that bad it's scary we always tell people you, know, you go to the orange bowl not so much with the, with the girls but the boys you walk and you see the 18 year olds play and they don't have very good service motions so you know, sorry, you're not playing pro tennis because <laughs> you're starting out every other game, your serves a minus and you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. But so many of them 
said, you know, well, I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to just be a pro. And because of the cycle, the consumer hires them and they become coaches. Um, so do they serve apprenticeships, internships? Um, I think most young coaches, when they enter, they're undertrained and overpaid. They're making so much more money than minimum wage. Mm -hmm. There's so many people that have, they've come out of college with degrees. They don't make what a beginning tennis teacher makes. Now, granted, a lot of beginning tennis teachers, they stay at that same income their whole career. Mm. Um, you know, do they have dynamic skills, group dynamic skills? Yeah. You know, that's another thing. The, the game is so expensive. It is, well, you know, we have to pay for hitting lessons. Some people will even say to their uh, clientele, to their parents, you don't get that much technical attention in the groups. You have to take privates. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so the parents are writing a check for the group lessons or writing a check for the private lessons. Um, so that's a big problem. When a young pro starts off, is there any orientation or they say, here's your basket, here's court six, or better yet, you're on our staff, go fish, go yeah. hustle lessons, teach you whatever you can teach. And, you know, there's no continuity from one court to the next at most tennis clubs. Yeah. That's a major problem. Yeah. Granted, the style is going to be there, the personality, but, you know, a kid should be able to go from the early childhood development class. You know, that comes back, there should be, okay, you're a beginner, you're advanced beginner, you're intermediate. Yeah. But if people are going to uh, be successful, there, there's going to be a lot of uh, continuity from one course to the next. That was one thing I really liked about the Vic Braden Tennis College, um, you know, starting my teaching there was obviously there was a, a pretty long training period, um, even though I had a lot of background with Vic starting at age 13, but but everybody was on the same page. And so when the people would come in, even if it was a three or five day camp, when we had rotations or if we went from, you know, different court to different court, the information was the same. There were, you know, one pro isn't going to tell them to do this and another one, hey, do something totally radically different. Yeah. And so the people would always comment on that. They go, well, this is really nice because, you know, different personalities, but the information was always there. You know, granted, like a college coach working with someone who's been playing for many, many years, they have to work within a player's game. I think that's more of a challenge. That's perhaps more artistic than just, okay, here's raw information for the for the beginner. Mm -hmm. um, here's one thing about the sparring partner. The sparring partner, they don't want to work with beginners. They just want to teach kids who can hit the ball. And that's why they're going to be that merchant of flesh at the weekend tournament handing out a business card. Yeah. And it, it, the game is not going to grow if people are waving their arms going, no, I don't teach beginners. Yeah. You, you, you need to bring new people into the game. Yep. Um, and then also, too, is to reducing the cost. We mentioned that. Yeah. Um, but do people who come in, do they understand fact-based instruction? You know, the fact-based instruction. You know, in the governing bodies of tennis teaching, the PTR use PTA, um, I met with John Embry about the Vic Braden Library. And, you know, he runs, um, he runs the USPTA. And again, there's 15,000 pros, Mark Twain. Every time you meet someone, you meet their master. But of the 15,000, and I think the PTR is about the same size. How many people in that organization know 19.1 degrees? Yeah. Yeah. How many, how many, does they just know fact-based instruction? Um, and it, it's, it's it, do they really understand? You know, so that's where, you know, Braden used to say, when someone gets upset on the tennis court, usually it's an engineering problem. It's yeah. not an attitude problem. Exactly. They come to the court, they're in a good mood. Yep. Um, but yeah, you know, they got a forehand that's going to break down. Yeah. So 
Um, I do. I, I do think another thing um, is discourage endless private lessons. You know, the Australians used to, and still do, is that okay? You got a private lesson, and they put a junior on the court. Nick Balateri did that when he first started teaching. He had Brian Godfrey down the court. Mm. Brian Godfrey, um, you know, he's number three in the world. With, um, he still looks like he's eighteen years old, but with that. Um, endless private lessons and also endless program hours. Kids get programmed out, you know, especially kids who live like say in Chicago or, you know, Seattle, wherever, where the weather, you know, they've got to play indoors in the wintertime that they're not playing any sets. They're just, they're just six on a court, just doing drills. Yeah. Um, I tell a lot of kids, what you really should do uh, the parents is support the program, but, you know, just go to the program part of the time and then get your own courts and play anybody and everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I've got here embracing the UTR. And with that, there's no reason for ranking lists that promote a false feel good fantasy. And you could have a self rating and self arranged matches um, with no entry fee. And those should count. No checks written. People will cheat and just, you know, just like a golfer lying about their handicap but really, in the end, all you have to do is just watch him hit one ball, and you're going to know. Yeah, someone told you you're a scratch golfer. Uh, you know, again, I grew up around golfers. I'm not a golfer, but I had every opportunity to be a golfer. But I caddied quite a bit. Somebody tells you they're a scratch golfer. You watch him hit one ball. Exactly. That's all, that's all. Exactly. Same thing. And systems should connect levels all the way to the entry-level pros. Tennis teachers and coaches should not make their money from tournaments. You could find ways to give the money to entry-level pro players. Major cities should not have half a dozen random UTR events held on one weekend or on the same weekend. UTR needs to be accepted by governing bodies of tennis to create, a prog- to create progressive structures. UTR events are run by teachers and coaches who have figured out that they can make money running a tournament opposed to teaching or coaching and local tournaments should be ageless and genderless. Yeah, years ago, um, before the NTRP, and the NTRP has been very good for social tennis, very good for adult tennis. It used to be you had to win two B terms to play an A tournament. Mm. The draws were much larger. Coming back to the UTR, it's unfortunate that people have to write a check. Uh, now, the UTR did come out with a self-rating. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many people are really aware of that. Uh, and again, people would cheat. People would sandbag it. And, um, maybe sandbagging is saying that you're worse than you are. I, I, that's, that's one golf term I'm not really bang on with. But with the UTR, that you shouldn't have to write a check. And again, it's like the, here in Orlando, it's like the wild, wild west. I mean, you know, before the pandemic, it's like, well, there's six UTR events. Because the UTR wasn't really totally accepted by the USTA. Mm-hmm. And I understand now that the ITF may have their world pin number and it's like, can't we work together? Yeah, exactly. And UTR, there, there's some, there's some negatives to it where that's all people, young kids are just obsessed by it. I mean, I heard this, this is probably the worst that one young kid, he agreed to play high school tennis. He didn't have a last name like mine, Smith. He agreed to play high school tennis and the parents were behind it. If you misspell my name, I'll play on your team. And the coach said, okay. And I'm going, oh, what are we, what's, what's going on? <laughs> um, people are paid a, te- a teaching pro to, you know, lose a set to a kid yeah. to have their UTR go up. So there, there's gaming going and that's, that's very, crazy. very unfortunate. Yeah. But um, 
it, it's just too bad that um, um, the USTA, for example, it was much better when there was just clay courts, hard courts, and indoor. Mm-hmm. Not that many kids. It was just Thanksgiving weekend that we'd go to indoor. Yeah. You had to play in your section. It wasn't a matter of level twos and level threes. Now, the top sections, it's like Winston Churchill, democracy is not perfect. Mm-hmm. That, you know, the Floridians, I remember Bobby Curtis talking about this. Bobby Curtis, who's run uh, junior terms in Florida forever. Like the Californians as well, the Texans. Because they have very strong sections. Yeah is but majority rules so then all of a sudden you know, the parents and, and the parents you have to thank the the volunteers that you say so many parents and they and so made all these decisions thinking they were doing the right thing for their kids um we're like say okay no outsiders can play kalamazoo used to be open to foreign players mm-hmm. so um we were better off you know like the, the midwest all these small cities and perhaps the quality of family life, the, the appreciation for indoor court time. Um, the, the Midwest sectionals years ago, I used to call it the Westerns. It was a very, very tough tournament. But now it's like, well, I've got to go to Florida. I've got to go to California. Yeah. And kids, it's almost like the checkbook system. Mm-hmm. So the UTR was set up um, to try to make tennis, competitive tennis, less costly. Yeah. And the... That just, you know, the, the powers of be. And I think with Mark Jeffries' summit, um, I know Dave Fisher had so much with, with uh, putting the UTR on the map. Dave Howell yeah. put it together initially, did the math and did the computer work, copying the French system. But yeah, the, the, the making match play less expensive. Yeah. Yep. Uh, just, just thought back to the future, Dave Anderson. Yeah. I love that when you asked him, uh, how to make tennis better in the U.S. And he said, go back to the future. You mentioned playing 15 minutes of ghost doubles, bowling bounces once. Uh, the Bryan brothers, they've retired and now serving volley doubles is on its way to becoming extinct. <laughs> Could be. I mean, you go to a college tennis match, it used to be um, the girls were um, playing one up, one back. And we've talked about that. Is um, I've talked about that with Dave Anderson is, you know, you only learn by making mistakes, serve and go. Yeah. And if you're a high school freshman and you play serve, stay back, what are you going to do in your sophomore? You're going to play what you did to try to win as a freshman. Exactly. Um, with, uh, there's a lot of lost arts in tennis, the approach shot, the conventional approach volley. It's unfortunate. Um, and it's kind of heading to just the volley in general. I mean, you can't serve and volley if you can't serve and volley. Oh, you can go to a futures tournament and there's players who don't even warm up at the net. Yeah. And it's like, whoa. It's like, what? Explain pro-level terminology. What language applies to various stages of development? Like, say, serve plus one, first strike tennis, mm-hmm. first four shots. Now, we mentioned Warren Pretorius, along with uh, Craig O'Shaughnessy. I mean, if um, Mike Costa told me, he said someone who played for Craig Tyler at Illinois, and then mm-hmm. he spent time working with us. He's a professional comedian now yeah. on The Daily Show. Costa told me to make money in tennis is the same way as make money in comedy. If you're on TV in tennis, you're making money. If you're on, ten- <laughs> you're on TV in comedy, you're making money. Mm-hmm. But also, O'Shaughnessy, I mean, he's been on TV. It's great. And I'd like to see him on there more with match analysis. But O'Shaughnessy, Pretorius, others, I think back about Bill Jacobson, what he did with the first... Uh, computer for match analysis 
from their lifetime, they know that kids need to learn skills first. Yeah. So that comes back to that soundbite mentality. And the TV, uh, the TV commentators, they need to be educated. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're saying serve plus one, first four shots. The next thing you know, 12-year-olds are hearing that. Yeah. And they, they, they can't hit the broad side of a barn. They, I mean, if they were, the basketball expression, if they were in a boat, you know, they couldn't hit water. I mean, with, um, so it's, in, it's sensationalistic to teach the wrong things at the wrong time. Now, if he, I mean, I've listened to O'Shaughnessy. There's so many YouTube clips and I've heard him say now for beginners, for when you're first starting out, but you know, young kids, um, and they, they, we just have to understand that they're on YouTube, YouTube clips and potato chips or there's some negatives there. Well, and even with the pros, I mean, and that's in the stats that, Hey, you know, it's tennis is a difficult sport. Going back to the very beginning, people are making more errors than they are winners for the most part. Yeah. You know, it's, it's unforced errors. It's really about, can you, can you hit the shot? Misery enjoys company. You miss 45% of shots. I'll miss 45% of shots. It'd be really competitive. It'd be really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very little tennis played in tennis. Yeah. Um, you know, we have to fight tennis, ignorance, tennis, arrogance, the common sense approach. But what is that common sense approach? It comes back to fact-based instruction. Yeah, um, we mentioned the post, most important analytics: grip, swing, body, toss. I mean, you ask, say, twenty people. You take a survey. What's more important, the swing or the toss? There, it's going to be the toss. People, oh, the toss, the toss. Yeah. Vandermeer used to tease and say, "I, I, I teach. I have a twenty-four thousand dollar program. I'll teach you the lesson. Just pay in cash. And I, I'll teach you how to toss." <laughs> um, Tennis myths were debunked years ago. Yep. Years ago. Yep. But that's where the internet is adding to so much confusion. And they're back tenfold. Yep. Um, with, uh, you know, another thing in the U.S. is we need to revive high school tennis. Play for something bigger than yourself. Mm -hmm. If you are a homeschooler, your parents are a taxpayer, you can play high school tennis. It's a very short season. Mm -hmm. Um you know, based on the aftermath of the pandemic, and I don't think we're, we're obviously there yet, but college tennis may be may, may need to be adjusted to improve. I mean, it, it, yeah. Iowa, Minnesota have dropped. Yeah. Um, but tennis kids, they need to learn to be on a team. And, you know, when you say that, say, okay, well, we want everybody to teach. So we're going to teach the tots at, uh, you know, 8 o'clock on Saturday morning, and we want the want the, the older kids to come out. We don't want them to be self-absorbed and selfish, self-centered. You're going to come out and you're going to help the young kids. Yeah. And they, if they were to do that, um, the tennis lessons wouldn't have to be so expensive. Yeah. And the kid, I mean, and the kids teaching are going to get life skills. Yeah. It's double, it doubles the learning peer yeah. teaching. Yep. Um, here's another solution. We've got to work harder and smarter in the U S we've become lazy. That comes back to the gardener getting down on their knees and working the, the soil every day versus just growing like weeds. Yep. What we're doing is we're giving people less and we're charging them more. And that's dead wrong. Mm -hmm. We're giving them less and we're charging them more. Okay, so we did mention the people versus profit principle. What happened to the 21 and unders? I know you lived in Germany for four years. They still have that in Germany. We had that in the United States. Yeah. Why don't we have that anymore? Yeah. Um, we had 25 and over. Don't have that anymore. Yeah. Um, we've dropped conventional scoring. You know, why does it have to be no third set? Yeah. Um, 
Why does it have to be no ad scoring? Not going to be on TV. Why do we, in some cases, we drop consolation? Or if you play consolation, it becomes an eight-game pro set. Yeah. So there's less tennis being played. Yeah. Wimbledon used to have a plate. All the first-round losers called the Wimbledon plate. Yeah. Um, the uh, NCAs used to be consolation. You know, you go to the right. So more matches. Yeah. Um, and this has been mentioned in our podcast. Um, and we're pretty new to these uh, podcasts. But playing doubles as a six-game no-ad pro set. I know all people say, well, we're trying to get college tennis on TV and nonsense versus common sense. Um, go ahead. But those are a few, a few solutions. Yeah, no, I mean, I hope listeners out there, I hope you've gotten a lot of value from these notes, these ideas that we've gone through. As far as what we're trying to do, we're trying to bring education, free education to tennis players. And with great base tennis, Again, we say it's a system of systems. It's not Andy Fitzell's stuff or Steve Smith's stuff, just like it wasn't Vic Braden's stuff or no Vic Braden method, but it's a blend of methods. Um, it's not one-dimensional. It's quite the contrary. It's a study of past tennis masters, and it's a study of proven methodologies. Um, based, Steve, on your journey in, in tennis in the 70s and great base tennis, great base curriculum, was first practiced starting in 1981 in the U.S.'s first comprehensive tennis curriculum for tennis students seeking occupational competency as tennis teaching pro managers. Tennis Tech. Yeah. Tyler, Texas. And I, Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, we, you know, we use the line, really, when it comes down to it, is who can argue with having a great base or a great foundation? You know, just like in any other sport, you got to have a great base got to have a great beginning. Carl Hale is right now the president of the PTR. He runs uh, the Canadian Open. Now, he worked in Japan at a tennis club that I later worked at. Um, I just worked there as a traveling consultant. He worked there full time. So he came back to Canada and Richard Hernandez really helped him when he came back because mm -hmm. it's, it's difficult when a pro is working out of country and they have to come back. Mm -hmm. So what Carl says is so true is in tennis, it's almost like you have to be coaching a marquee player. I mean, you really have to knock it out of the park. Yeah. But um, with results, um, here are a few things about the great base as far as success. And keep in mind, we have not worked with recruited players. Yeah. I lived in Tyler, Texas for 10 years. The second five years, so it's a small city, small program, we developed more state champions in Dallas and Houston combined. Really, we just had a program where we, we had around 10 kids. We call them the guinea pigs. <laughs> um, you know, from that time period, we had two kids go on and win national uh, individual college titles. Um, our students and our student students have won the boys and girls national 18s. Um, we tell people, name a college or university, and we're usually 10 for 10, where we've had a former student play or coach at that school. Mm -hmm school named name a country and most likely we've trained coaches from that country um this is not marquee players we're not talking about people who became u.s davis cup stars but we had three players from the same program who started as beginners be on the u.s davis cup team as practice partners mm -hmm. you know um, the french open is going on right now um 
Andy and I would just go through and, and our network of coaches, we go through the draws of majors and there's all sorts of players that we've had a, a direct or indirect yeah. uh, connection with. Um, so when it comes down to, um, again, the Vic Braden line, if you, if you are teaching the kid who takes the ice cream cone and put it, put it, puts it in the middle of their forehead, then you can teach. I have a brother who's written 10 books on ice hockey. And, and if you can get that kid to hit the ball. Yeah. Yeah. I have a brother who's written 10 books on ice hockey. And the first book he didn't dedicate to anyone. So um, I gave him a hard time. And you know, it might have been the second book or the third book. He dedicated one to his grandparents or our grandparents. And then he, he dedicated one to my father. He said, hey, my father understands the true meaning of sports, participation. And, you know, in hockey, the term, you know, beginner to expert that, you know, we have to have people hungry to work with both. It's not just, I want to work with the experts. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, I think that about wraps everything up. You know, again, the things that we're doing today, we've got our free website, we've got five free courses on there and we've got plans for more content coming out here pretty quick. We've got 3000 plus pages on our Great Base Tennis Facebook page. We're doing daily posts on Instagram. And then we've got this here podcast that you're listening to. Appreciate all the time listening to us and really hope you got a lot of value out of this conversation, you know, information, ideas, insights, going through some of the problems and solutions with tennis, trying to help tennis worldwide, help tennis teaching. So again, if you've got any comments or questions, you can reach out to us, info at greatbasetennis.com. Yeah, we'll put these notes on Facebook, Great Base Tennis Facebook. Yeah. And again, um, BTWL Summit, Between the White Line Summit with yeah. Mark Jeffries, organized by Emma Collins. Uh, we did a presentation for them, and we had told the listeners from that 40-minute uh, session that we would just go through this a little bit slower. So yeah. again, I hope our listeners got something out of it. Yeah, I appreciate you guys listening. And until next time, I'm Andy Fitzell alongside Steve Smith. Adios, amigos. We'll see you again. Thanks for listening.